Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be talking about the King of Glory today. Jesus and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem that day. Uh, and all through, all through the, the uh, earth, the world today, churches, fellowships are remembering uh, this special day. It's an awesome day. Um, so Matthew 21, it's, it is recorded in all the Gospels, but we're going to look at uh, Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to be re- reading verses 1 through 11. Now, they, they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find the donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set Jesus on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the ground. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem... All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We pray your blessing over this sermon. Let it be more than a sermon. Let it be a word from your heart to our hearts, Lord. Lord, I know you put some things on my heart to share. Help me to to share them articulately and passionately, and clearly. And may everyone who hears the word today get something out of it, Lord, that we could apply to our lives. And Lord, as we often pray, as as we preach your word, we trust, Lord, that you will be magnified and glorified. It's all about you, and your people will be edified and built up because of it. So Holy Spirit, come, do your work among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. So most of us have read books or seen movies about the day of, of Palm Sunday. Uh, it's a very special day, whether you're Catholic or Protestant or Orthodox, Pentecostal, Evangelical. Palm Sunday is a very important day on the church calendar. It's, a, as you know, a week before Resurrection Day. And that, along with Christmas, are, are two most you know, celebrative days on, on our Christian calendar. Christ is born and Christ is risen. But I think that Palm Sunday kind of stands alone as a triumphal entry, yet there's a sense of melancholy attached to it. There's a sense of sadness attached to it. There's singing, there's joy, there's celebration, and there's palms and yet there's, if we look at the full gospel record, in the midst of all the fanfare, we see Jesus riding in with a tear in his eye. Luke's gospel says, as he drew near the city, he wept over the city. So there's some pathos here. There's singing and praise and fanfare and joy. And, but in the backdrop, there's this knowledge that the people didn't really understand. As you know, if you know the story, this is Sunday, but by Friday, the crowd that was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, is now saying, crucify him, crucify him. We want Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. And so Palm Sunday, in my mind, I mean like Resurrection Day, hallelujah, Christmas Day, hallelujah, Palm Sunday, my heart is kind of moved in a different way. Because I realize Palm Sunday is the day of reckoning when Jesus made his grand entry to die. To get ready to die. So there has to be a a sense of celebration, but also a sense of somberness involved with it. So as you know, Palm Sunday begins what we would call Holy Week. Some uh, traditions call it Passion Week. Here's a quick summation. Uh, Monday he came riding in. Uh, Sunday, Monday, he cleansed the temple and told the parable of the fig tree. 
On Tuesday, we call this, this was a big teaching day for Jesus. So there's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. On Tuesday, he was teaching things like the marriage feast, the parable of the marriage feast, the ten virgins, uh, the parable of the talents. He taught on the widow's might on that Tuesday. On Wednesday, uh, church history calls it Spy Wednesday. That's when Judas made the arrangements with the, the Jewish leaders to betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And Thursday was the preparation for the Passover. The Lord's Supper was, was instituted there. The garden, the prayer in the garden, the arrest, the trial, all through the night on that Thursday, Thursday night. And then Friday was the crucifixion and the burial of our Lord. Mark 11 adds to the story that um, it alludes to the fact that Jesus and his disciples were staying in Bethany and going back and forth. I often wondered where Jesus stayed, but it says he came from Bethany and would go back and forth into Jerusalem and probably stayed at a friend's home. And most likely it was Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who we know from other stories. Luke's gospel adds that uh, the Pharisees, when they saw this grand celebration and procession coming into Jerusalem, they told Jesus, Jesus, will you tell everyone to pipe down and keep it down? As though, like, if the Roman authorities know that there's another king in the kingdom, we're all going to be in trouble. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If they don't cry out, if they don't worship, these very rocks will cry out. John 12 adds that, uh, the disciples didn't really understand what was going on. Even as we see in verse number 5, uh, the prophecy given from Zechariah 9.9, 9, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. They didn't understand what that was really all about. Now I find it interesting also that in this story, uh, there is no mention of Daniel chapter 9. Now, some of you might say, oh, I'm thinking about Wednesday night Bible study. Yes, I am thinking about Wednesday night Bible study. We've been all over Daniel 9, 10, 11, the whole thing. We go verse by verse. But, but Daniel 9, 25 talks about when the Messiah would come. And uh, many years later now, through much research, biblical study, and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit... Most scholars believe that when Jesus came into Jerusalem that day, it was a fulfillment of Daniel 9.25. And let me, let me share a little bit about that. Uh, some of you may be familiar with uh, a pastor out in Dallas, Texas. His name is Robert Jeffries. He pastors an enormous church. Uh, he's an adjunct professor at the Dallas uh, Theological Seminary. He's got millions, uh, not millions, many degrees, very well-known, very accepted teacher. But this is what he had to say about that. Now, you have to know a little bit about Daniel 9, so I trust that you know a little bit about it. But this is what he said. God told Daniel when he would begin his 490-year program. This is the 70 weeks of Daniel. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, or a total of 69 weeks, or... Well, let me just... The decree to rebuild Jerusalem was issued... Now, this is through study and research. Uh, the Persian king Artaxerxes in March 444 B.C. Now, we read about that in Nehemiah chapter 2. This began the countdown, God's stopwatch. It then uh, ticked down seven weeks of years, or 49 years, until Jerusalem was rebuilt. We did all this on Wednesday night. And then another uh, 62 weeks, or 434 years, until the Messiah came. So that, that leaves a total of 483 years from the time that the decree went to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. Did everyone get that? So there's a decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. The prophecy is, from that time, there's going to be 483 years until the Messiah, the Prince, is revealed. So I'm thinking, okay... So then he goes on. Uh, that leads to a grand total of 483 years. So 483 years plus 440 B.C., ending uh, using the ancient measurement of years, which is 360 days per year, not 365. That is the exact year and time of year that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem in A.D. 33. 
So now you take all of that and you say, okay, well, why was it so important that Jesus said, no, 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 let them cry out. If they don't cry out, the stones will cry out. Because now he's making a public proclamation, the king has come. I am the king. And it also says in Daniel chapter 9 that after those 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. So Sunday to Friday, on Friday he was cut off. He was crucified and died. And so if all that is true, we believe that the next part of Daniel 9 about the uh, treaty with the Antichrist in Israel and all that will happen with the tribulation, all that will happen just as it said. Jesus said something interesting in John 16, verse 12, at the Last Supper. He says, I have yet many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will, give, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. We call this the, uh, the, the principle of pro, uh, progressive revelation. In other words, there's more knowledge now as Jesus' Jesus's return is approaching than there was in our history In other words, we have more knowledge and insight now through the Spirit of God than we did, say, a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. There's things that are revealed to us as the Holy Spirit reveals them as people diligently study and seek the Lord. So I just find it interesting that on this day, uh, this is a public proclamation. Remember, Jesus always said, don't tell anybody. Don't don't tell anyone, you know, I'm doing this. And he would always like try to get away. Well, on Palm Sunday, he's out there. He's exposed. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he receives it. I just want to talk about the palm branches for a minute. Every year I like to refresh my memory, hopefully your memory, as to what these palm branches really mean. What's, what symbol, what's, what's the symbolism of the pine branches? Well, there are some couple of scriptures that talk about it. But Psalm 92, 12, it says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm. And that would be like us too. You know, we, we would stand stately and we, we would be righteous. But, but 1 John 2, 1 says that Jesus Christ is the righteous one. So as we wave those palm branches as they did, it was a sign of the righteousness of Christ. He is righteous and he is good. Song of Solomon 7, 7 says that uh, this is the groom to his wife. He says, this stature of yours, or this dignity of yours, is like a palm tree. Here, the palms are a symbol of an upright character, an an innocence, and and a class, if you could say it that way, dignity. But this stature is like a palm tree. And then we read in Revelation 7, 9 through 11, uh, reflective of the future glory of of the believer, uh, that are clothed in white robes, and waving palm branches before the king of kings. So in that case, the palm branch would be a symbol of worshiping the Lord. So as he was coming in that day, you have to think about biblically what was going on. He's being declared as the righteous one. He's being declared as one with a pure character. He's he's being worshipped as the king of kings and lord of lords, very symbolic of the day and and special for the day. So when we we did that this morning, we're waving the palm branches, we're giving praise and recognizing the Lord for who he was and who he is. Amen. I want to talk about the story, Uh, have a couple of things to share with you. This probably won't be a really long, long message, but you never know for sure. But I want to talk about the king of glory. He is the king of glory. And uh, look at verse number one with me. The king of glory, it says in verse number one, the king of glory, I'm using that phrase, sent, sent some of his disciples uh, into Jerusalem to find the donkey. I want to say this, that the king of glory is still sending people. He's, he has always sent people. He sent uh, the 70, he sent the 12 he probably sent the 120 in Acts chapter 1 in Matthew 28. But he, he sends people out. Here, he's sending the disciples out to find the donkey and the colt. Very specific. You're going to find them, loose them. If there's a problem, tell the guy that the Lord has need of them. And, and so they go out and they do that. But the Lord is still sending people today. I, wanted, I want you to get that. It's the nature of the Lord to send people out. He's sending people out to the streets. 
He's sending people out to the prisons. He's sending people out to the hospitals and nursing homes. He's sending people out to the downtowns and the uptowns of our communities. Believe it or not, do you know that God is sending people to New England from other parts of the country to preach the gospel? You know, there's this story, I, I may have shared this some time ago. There was a, a gentleman at an airport, I think in Chicago, and uh, he overheard these people talking in front of him and lie. They were waiting to go to, from there to Los Angeles. And he overheard this conversation of two guys, and they were saying that they were called, you know, they were called to, uh, to minister in Los Angeles. And, um, and they, they were talking about how, how difficult the country was. Anyway, he said to them, where are you guys from? And they said, oh, we're from Nigeria. We heard about a great need in America, and we left our homeland to come to America to share the gospel. And they were coming to Los Angeles to preach the gospel. God is sending people all over the world to different parts of the world because the days are short. And God is sending people to New England. He's sending people from New England to other parts of the world to proclaim the goodness of God. I shared this a few weeks ago. It's worth repeating. But in Mark chapter 4, great passage of scripture, uh, chapter 5. The story is there's a man, demon-possessed, living in a cemetery, cutting himself, screaming and yelling, wearing no clothes and just beside himself. No one could contain him. And Jesus came and saw him and ministered to him and delivered the man of a legion of demons. And as the story concludes, Jesus is getting in the boat to go back to where he was going. And the man says, I want to go with you. Let me go with you. And he was begging Jesus to go with him. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You stay here and tell your friends what great things God has done for you. Can I, can I raise the question that perhaps the Lord is sending us, you and I, to our families, our friends, our co-workers, people in our lives. There's nothing greater in my life. I, I've had several opportunities to share Christ with people that I grew up with many years ago. And, you know, I mean many. I mean many years ago. But they're still my friends, and I still see them, and, you know, especially on Facebook. But what an opportunity. The Lord has opened up a door to share our faith with many people. I just want to leave this with you. Maybe the Lord wants to send you somewhere that the church or Pastor Rick could never go, but you can go. Because you have the inroads into those people's lives. Be a light. Be salt. I want to share this. Secondly, the king of glory, he's still fulfilling prophecy. I mean, Zechariah 9, 9, we, we see it in uh, Matthew 21, 5. Uh, that was totally fulfilled at that time. Daniel 9, 25, I think that was a fulfillment of prophecy. But, um, but here we see Jesus coming into the city uh, fulfilling this prophecy, but can you get the picture? He's riding on a donkey, lowly and humbly. Now that needs a little explanation because in the Old Testament, kings would literally ride on donkeys. They wouldn't ride on horses. It was an act of royalty for a king to ride on a donkey. But I don't think they, they rode on a donkey in humility. I think they did it with a lot of pride and fanfare and, and so on. Jesus is riding on the donkey as a king, but he's lowly and he's humble. And can you picture him coming in and knowing what's in his mind and all the excitement and all the praise, and, but knowing that, you know what, they really don't understand who I am. But Jesus, it says in Philippians chapter 2, emptied himself. He left glory to come to earth. You know the story. He was born in a manger. He lives with the poor. He gave his life as a ransom. And he's still fulfilling prophecy. We have to remember, when I read about Daniel 9 and the things that were fulfilled in that prophecy, I'm, I'm excited about what's going to happen next. For instance, Matthew 24, 6 and 7. The wars and the famines and the sickness. All these are going to increase and this is the beginning of sorrows. You know what, church? I think we're there already. I think we're in the beginning of sorrows, if not a little bit beyond. In John 16, 8, we, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, when I send the Holy Spirit, he's going to be moving and convicting and saving souls. And, and you know, the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, is saving souls all over the world. Muslims are having dreams and visions about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is definitely at work. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. 
Matthew 24, 14. This gospel shall be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come. What about 1 Thessalonians 4 or 1 Corinthians 15? The rapture of the church. That's a prophetic word in the word of God. Do you believe in the rapture of the church? I believe it. It's so extraordinary, unusual, extraordinarily unusual, but I believe it's going to happen. Whoever thought the Messiah would be born of a virgin? <laughs> Is that unusual? Whoever thought the king of kings would be born in a stable and live a sinless life? Well, the rapture of the church is no less or more miraculous than anything else that happened before. But I believe it's going to happen. Daniel 9.27, the peace treaty between Israel and the Antichrist. What about the thousand-year reign? What about the new heaven and the new earth? Because Jesus is still fulfilling prophecy. Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So whenever we preach Jesus, whenever we're proclaiming the things of God, there's a tinge of the prophetic in the message. There has to be. So if we preach Christ and him crucified, we're also preaching Christ coming again. It's a prophetic word that is absolutely going to happen. And John said it best. Those of us who have that hope in us that he's coming back again, what do we do? We don't eat, drink, and be merry. It says we purify ourselves. We get ready for the day. With all the things that are happening today, church, I, I beseech you, get ready for the coming of the Lord. John the Baptist said it way back then, repent and get ready. The day of the Lord is coming. You know, the kingdom of God is coming. And I, I just want to tell the church, get ready, get ready, get ready. Hallelujah. The third thing is this. We see it in verses 8 and 9. A very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the multitudes went out before him, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, etc. I would say it like this, that the Lord is still looking for multitudes. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about that for a minute. Multitudes is a common word in the book of Acts. In Acts 5.14 we read this, that believers were increasingly added to the Lord with multitudes of both men and women. Do you believe that, that the Lord wants to save multitudes? I absolutely believe that. Acts 5.16, multitudes gathered, bringing their, the sick and their tormented souls, and they were healed and delivered. I believe the Lord still wants to minister to multitudes. Acts 6.1, when the number of disciples was multiplying... Well, there arose a, a murmuring with the Hellenistic uh, women. But anyway, but the, the number of disciples was multiplying. And in Acts chapter 8, we read it in Samaria, the multitudes heeded the words of Philip. And there was great revival in Samaria. But what I want to get to is this. In spite of the multitudes, Jesus always found the one person. Because in the midst of that revival, he said to Peter, pack it up. Uh, Philip, leave that and go find the one on Gaza Road and tell him about me. And he left the revival and ministered to the one man, the Ethiopian eunuch, on the road to Gaza. I remember I shared that, that story and that principle at our annual business meeting in January. But this is the thing. The Lord seeks multitudes, but he always sees the one face in the middle of it. I think that of me. I got saved in, a, you know, in the 70s, and there was a multitude of people getting saved. But I can tell you what, Jesus saw me in the midst of the multitudes. Didn't he see you? Didn't he find you in the midst of whatever was going on? Like you feel this movement, God's all over the place, yeah. But, but he saw me. He saw my issue. He saw my heart. He saw my problems. He forgave me of my sin. My sin is different than your sin, but he ministered to me. So as he's looking for the multitude, he never leaves out the individual. Luke 19.10 says, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And guess what? We're all lost. Everyone's lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. Yeah, he's looking for the multitudes, but he's still looking. You know what he's looking now? He's looking for our sons and our daughters. He's looking for our friends. He's looking for our co-workers. He's look, looking for our neighbors. And most likely, he wants to use us to share the gospel with somebody. Amen. Then let's go down to verse number 10. When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? 
I love that pass, that one verse right there, verse number 10. All the city was moved. All the city was shaken. Let me say it this way. When Jesus arrives, when he's honored and worshiped and proclaimed, the city is not the same. It's moved, it's, it's shaken, it's affected, it's, it, they're turning his way, they're, they're reacting to the presence of God, and maybe they're reeling because of the presence of God. In Mark one thirty eight, we read this, that Jesus' mission, he said, let's go to other cities that I may preach the gospel there also. This is the purpose for why I came. And the Lord wants to minister in our cities and towns and villages all over the country and all over the world. I think about Haverhill, Mass., our Jerusalem. I think about, you know, what is God doing in our midst? And I would include the Catholics. I would include the Protestants. I would include the Orthodox or the non-denominational or whatever. But the evangelical slash Pentecostal movement in whatever church it's in is proclaiming him. You know, right now in Haverhill, there's what, 35, 37 churches proclaiming him. Now, you, you have to think about that. That's being obedient to the, the calling. The evangelical slash Pentecostal are praising him. Now, we have our praise style, you know. We're a little freer maybe than some, not as free as others. But there's churches all over this, this community that are singing praises to God. We, we, can't, we have to accept that. We, there are people that are presenting him to the community with acts of compassion Acts of service, good works, feeding the poor, clothing those that are in need, counseling the troubled, uh, training vocationally, giving financial aid, child care, foster care is a big thing now in many of our churches. Help establish, establish, helping to establish a relationship with Jesus, which is the bottom line. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship. Remember? We are his masterpiece. We're his piece of artwork that he created for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should glorify our Father in heaven. So I think about, I think about our fellowship here. Let me name it. And Esther, thank you for the missions report. If you haven't noticed, that's our missions map. We support people in all those countries there, 32 or so missionaries. But right now in our Haverhill, we're, we're, we're supporting works in Haverhill. In other words, we're following the command that Jesus gave. He wants to be glorified and presented in our cities, towns, and villages. We have New Brothers Fellowship, which is a prison and aftercare ministry. Thank you, Doug and Caroline Gregan over there. We support Somebody Cares New England. We support uh, Leaving the Streets Ministry, our brother Jesus. We support Common Ground and Pregnancy Care Center. We're investing into the local area to promote the work of Christ. He wants to be recognized. He wants to be glorified in our cities and villages and towns. We, we support world missions. Amen. Amen. Um, and these, these people here are establishing lighthouses all over the world. So when you hear world events like world news, you have to think about, like I think about this, do we have people over there? Like in Ukraine, we have people in Ukraine. Do we have people in whatever, wherever there's a disaster or something going on? Do we have our people there? Well, that, that we do in a lot of places. But the king of glory is still moving in our cities and towns and villages all over the world. They could be churches like this. They could be storefronts. They could be parks or they could be down on the riverbank somewhere. There could be groups of five or ten people gathering together. There could be groups of 500 to 1,000 or more. But people are gathering, proclaiming the king of glory. And we must do this until he comes back. This is our mandate. In spite of what's going on around us, in spite of how unaccepted we may be, we're, we're commissioned by the Lord to do it. And then I want to, the last one is in verse number 11. So multitude said, uh, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, of Galilee. So Jesus still wants to be recognized. Who is this? This is Jesus. There are many souls in America today that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. 
Kids are being brought up today in America. Um, not, they're being raised without knowledge. The parents don't have a desire to teach them about the God that we serve. There's teenagers searching, exploring, experimenting with all sorts of lifestyles and beliefs, but Christianity is on the lower end. There are college students that go away from home or maybe from a different country, come to the States to go to college, and they're learning all sorts of things, but they're not learning about Jesus. That's why we support missionaries. Some of those lights are missionaries on college campuses. In other countries, humanism, pluralism, hedonism have taken over Christianity. Here's a a statistic I thought was interesting. Global Commission Partners, which is a Christian missionary organization, uh, says that out of the 7 billion people worldwide, this is our approximations, 30% are Christians, meaning 70% are not Christians. And 1.6 billion people have never heard or have never been evangelized. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They've never been evangelized. But this is what really got me. Listen to this. 70% of the evangelical Christians are unaware that 1.6 billion people never heard the gospel. Does that sound ironic to you? 70% of evangelical We're evangelistic, but 70% of evangelicals are unaware that 1.6 billion people have never heard the gospel. So I want to encourage everyone to do our part to be Christ-like in our world that we live in. Help people recognize Jesus by letting them see Jesus in you and in me. We are the greatest gospel many people will ever see or hear initially. So I want to encourage you to be kind to people, to be compassionate to people, to be merciful, show mercy to people. I know we live in an age where, you know what, we want to double down and prove our case. But sometimes it's just better to let it go and show grace and mercy. I would encourage you to be be a person of strong convictions, yes, but always have a listening ear. For somebody, just may need somebody to talk to. Be patient. You know what happens when you pray for patience. You get opportunities to experience it. So be careful with that one. But if you're praying for patience, the Lord will give you opportunities to be patient. And on your inside, you're going to be like churning. like. Oh. But you, you, you know it's the Lord. I've been there many times. You know, you know it's the Lord. Exercise self-control. One of the the last fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is self-control. We live in a day when, man, everyone does whatever they want to do. They blurt it out. They just, and then they deal with it later. But that's really not the Christian way to do it. You have to, you know, think about it. Be under self-control. And don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry. Don't be afraid to say, I was wrong. Don't be afraid to say, would you forgive me? In fact, you would be a bigger person. We would be a bigger person if we could do that. So regarding Palm Sunday, I would encourage you to tell somebody the story. Someone may need to know the story of Palm Sunday. What is Palm Sunday? Well, you just learned today, it could very well be a, 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 a fulfilled prophecy from Daniel chapter 9. What's Daniel 9? Oh, let me tell you about Daniel 9. Why were all the people waving palm branches? Oh, they recognized his righteousness, his holiness, his, his worship. You know, there's a meaning for everything. What happened on, a good, on, a, on, a, on Palm Sunday? Well, he was coming into Jerusalem. Why was he crying? Well, he was looking at Friday. What happened on Friday? But see, we, we need to be the ones that tell somebody the story of, of uh, Palm Sunday. Tell somebody that Calvary is absolutely real. I said it earlier, Romans 3, Romans 6. Somebody has to die for our sin. And Jesus went to the cross to pay that price for our sin. Free for us, it cost him his life. So Jesus wants to be recognized. And he doesn't want to be recognized so that he could be a somebody like that. He wants to be recognized because he knows if he's recognized as who he is, people will get saved. 
He's not doing it. Like people said, have said to me, why, why does Jesus want all the attention? It's not for his ego. It's, it's that he knows that if people recognize him and accept him and believe in him as who he is, they too will be saved. And they will not be judged for an eternity in hell. And so he wants people to look at him. It says in uh, John twelve thirty two, he said, If I be lifted up, meaning if I be crucified from, from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. You know, when I first came to the Lord many years ago, that verse was a very popular chorus. It was called Lift Jesus Higher. Anyone remember it? Lift Jesus Higher. But then I realized it was such a happy chorus. But somewhere along the line, I realized what it was referring to. I could never sing it quite the same. He said, if I be lifted higher on the cross, if I die, my spirit will come and all men will be drawn to me. So do we sing about it? Yeah, it's it's joyful, I guess, but it's kind of a serious uh, verse, if you ask me. So if he's lifted higher, he'll draw all men to himself, not for his own ego, but that by looking at him, mankind could be saved. So in summary of this, I want to talk about the king of glory. He's still sending. He's still sending. He's still fulfilling prophecy. Let the fulfilled prophecies bolster our confidence in the ones that have yet to be fulfilled. He's still looking for the multitudes, but in the multitudes, he always sees the individual. He's still moving in cities and towns and villages. And, and by the way, I had an opportunity this past Tuesday to share with, the, with several pastors on a Zoom meeting. It was my turn to give the devotional. And I shared that as leaders in the church, we should be each other's cheerleaders more than anybody else. There's no room in the body of Christ to to say, oh, we have more than you or we're doing more than you. No, no. If we're doing God's work, I don't care what denomination you are. If you're a man or woman of God, we need to cheer each other on and encourage one another. We get enough grief from the world. We don't need the grief in the church. But, but the Lord is still moving in cities and villages and towns. In Haverhill, Matt, think about it. Everyone thinks about Haverhill. Oh, there's such a high crime rate. There's drugs, there's alcohol, there's immorality, there's gang activity. There is all that. But there's also 35 or whatever churches doing the work of God in the midst of all that craziness. I, I can attest. We've sent people out from this church to go downtown Haverhill to work with the gangs, work with street people, work with the homeless, work with the, the hungry. And, and I know that it's happening. And we, we can't, like, focus on the negative. Let's focus on the positive. God is doing a work at Haverhill Mass. He really is. And I would encourage you, please, don't talk bad about another ministry. If they're doing the work of God, leave it alone. Don't talk bad about anybody. That's your brother, that's your sister, that's another church that's doing God's work. They may do it different. So what? They might do it better than us. They, they, they probably, in many cases, they will. They'll do it better. But who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? If someone's in a storefront, someone's, you know, there's a, a few churches in town that double up in church buildings. You know, like there's one church, like the main church. That afternoon, another, another group meets in that building for their church. Hey, praise God. The more, the merrier, if you ask me. So we can't criticize. God wants to move in cities and villages and towns, but he can't move if there's this nitpicking going on. And and unfortunately, there's some of that, but let's get beyond that. So I would say, let it start in the church. You all probably know people that go to different churches. Commend them for going to church. I I have never said, I've never talked bad about another church. The Lord is my witness. So if someone says, oh, yeah, they're going to that church. Well, praise God, they're going to church. Let the Lord deal with them. You know, just praise God. God wants to move in cities and villages and towns and communities all over the world. And he is. And the Lord wants to be recognized. And and I would say he wants to be recognized. In verse 11, uh, the multitude said, yeah, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. He wants to be, but people recognize Jesus in different ways too. Oh, he's a great teacher. He's a miracle worker. Yeah, he's all that. He's my friend. Yeah, he's he's that too. But Jesus is the savior of my soul. Everything begins and ends with Jesus. 
<laughs> he, he's the centerpiece of our lives, whether we want to accept that or not. Everything, everything is, is determined by our relationship with him. He is Lord. You know, we used to pray it all the time when someone receives the Lord. Lord God, come into my life and be my Savior. Amen. Be my Lord. Amen. And be the master of my life. Many times we get to that part, people say, what do you mean master of my life? I'm the master of my life. No, when you come to Jesus, he's the master of your life now. He wants to be recognized as who he came to be. He doesn't just want to be a good teacher or a a healer or this or that. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. He came as a lamb. He's coming again as a lion. So we would do well to get to know him as he really is. So that's the story of the triumphal entry. I want to just add a little bit of the epilogue to the story. Because you probably know other things happened when Jesus came into the city that day. The first thing he did in Matthew 21, verse 12, the first thing he did was he he went to the temple and started turning over the tables and throwing out all the con artists that were there uh, buying and selling and making a mockery of the house of God. Can I say this as an epilogue to the story? Jesus is still cleaning out churches and places of worship that are, in my vernacular, full of baloney. He wants churches to be a place of prayer, worship, the word of God, and pressing in. He's trying to clean out churches to get his presence in there. And the Lord is still doing that today. And the second thing that Jesus did when he came into the city after he cleaned the temple, temple, he was crying. He was weeping. And can I say this? In the aftermath of the story, Jesus is still weeping over people. It wasn't God's desire that people are rebellious and drug addicts and committing all sorts of immorality. And things. That's not God's plan. He's grieving over people. But wouldn't we do well to get his heart? And instead of being critical of those that are bound by drugs or pornography or alcohol or whatever, instead of criticizing them and, and belittling them, wouldn't it, wouldn't it behoove us to weep over them? To feel what they might be feeling? To try to get some type of relationship where we could pull them out of that lifestyle into a lifestyle with Christ. And another thing about weeping. As Jesus was weeping over the city, wouldn't we do well to weep over our own condition? Oh, God. Just like the, remember the, the, the rich man was all, you know, proud and he criticized the little guy that was all sickly and everything. And the little man, the little guy and the, the rich guy was praying so loud like he was a somebody. The little guy was like on his knees hitting his breast saying, Lord God, forgive me. Can't we be like that? And, and now we're looking at everybody, oh, we're weeping over the city. Yeah, but what about weeping over our own condition? Sometimes I feel like in my own life, I just, Lord, just why am I like the way I am? Lord, I know you started a work, Philippians 1, 6. I sing it all the time. He who started a good work is faithful to complete it. Hallelujah. Lord, I love that. But Lord, will it ever, will I ever, you know, get over that? And he says, no, you won't. You may get over some things, but you won't get over the whole thing because that's why I'm here. But can we look at ourselves and say, man, I I just want to weep over myself. I want to cry because I know I'm not right. And you know what? The Lord is attracted to that. He's opposed to the proud that says, I don't need anybody help, anybody's help. It's everybody else that has a problem. But he's drawn to those that are humble and are, and are just hungry for God. So, Jesus entered the city and he wept. He enters our city, he sees the crime, the hate, the pride, the greed, the drugs, the alcohol, the immorality, the rebellion. But he also sees those dear Christian people that are pressing in. Didn't Jesus say in another place, will the Son of Man really find faith when he comes back again? We're in the meantime, you know. In the meantime, what is Jesus going to see when he comes back? I hope he sees New Life Christian Assembly moving forward, preaching the word, worshiping God, being evangelistic, running after God. I don't want him to come back and, and see a church that's, that's decimated, that's kind of losing. 
I want to see a church that's, I want him to see a church that's going forward. And I would close with chapter 21, verse number 9. When all the people were gathering around Jesus that day, they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Didn't even say what Hosanna means, but Hosanna means Lord save us. Lord save us. Son of David, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so, can we have that in our heart? You know, we already talked about this. He saved us. He's saving us. He will save us from the wrath. But can we say, Hosanna, Hosanna, not just on Palm Sunday, but throughout our sojourning here on earth, can we cry out to God, Hosanna, save me, Lord, keep me saved until that day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So why don't we stand together? We're going to say that verse. I think it's on the screen up there. Uh, Matthew 21, verse 9. Say it with me. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. One more time. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Every head bowed for just a moment, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There may be some here or some online today that, like these people, they, they knew, you know, they knew what to say. Uh, they were caught up in the excitement of the day. But most of those people, five days later, were not saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were saying, crucify him. Give us Barabbas instead. And I wonder if there's anybody here today that you've come to a place in your life where, where you're ready to like make a change. The, the Lord is a great change agent. You ever hear the phrase, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? There may be somebody here, somebody at home, that's sick and tired of being sick and tired. And now you see the king of glory. He's riding into the city. He's riding into our city. He's riding into our lives if we let him. And you see the crowds worshiping and calling out his name. And, and then you wonder if he's going to see you. Can I tell you? He sees you. He sees the multitude but he sees the individual in the multitude. Is there anyone here that needs to receive Jesus today? Raise your hand if that's you. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. I need to receive Jesus today. Anybody? Anybody else? Okay. Does anyone need to see Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and not just a friend. I pray for that often. You give life.
to say to us just to kind of get back to the significance of the palms let the Lord be your righteousness some of us are thinking I can't be righteous let the Lord be your righteousness get behind him yes let him go before you yes let him be your righteousness yes. right Jesus. That, the righteousness is the that's palm. victory then then it's song of Solomon the palm branch is stately it's distinguished it's a proven character. Some of us might say, I don't have a proven character. My track record is terrible. Let the Lord be your proven yes, character. That's right. Glory. Hide behind the Lord. Glory. Get behind him. Glory. Let him go Glory. before you. Glory. You see that? Glory. Glory to God. And, and, and the palm branches are our act of worship. Let our lives be a worship to the Lord. And, and let, let that be a big part of who we are. We worship God. We could sing a song. We could play a piece on guitar or piano. But the greatest praise in worship is our lifestyle. That's right. Without yes. any melody. Yes. Let our lifestyle be the melody. We're upright. We're, we're of good character. We're kind. And all those things that we talked about. I, I think the Lord wants to bring that home to us. Yeah. I do. Let that be a word, okay? Let, if you want to look at it that way, let that be a word. Let him be your righteousness. Let him be your proven character. And let him be your worship. Those three things. So everyone get your palm branch. I, I, I love the palm branches. I, I, as a kid, you know, there's always a big day in my house. Always a big day to have those palm branches. I'm going to pray and... Uh, after I pray, just wave your palm branches for the Lord, before the Lord. Uh, there is a table set up outside for some goodies on your way out. If anyone needs prayer at the final amen, I'll be up here for a little bit. I'll be happy to pray with you. Father, Lord God, thank you for this special day. This 10 o'clock service is just wonderful. Thank you for everyone that came and those on live stream that, that tuned in as well. Uh, Lord, we pray that from, from moving forward. Now, next Sunday, Lord, oh, Lord God, bring in the lost. Bring in the sick. Bring in the troubled, oh God. Let them somehow make their way into the house of the Lord that they may hear that Jesus, who rode in on a donkey to announce this is his time to die, is no, not dead any longer. He is Hallelujah. risen from the grave. Lord, let this place yes, be Lord filled Jesus. up with hungry hearts next Sunday. Lord, we pray your blessing over Good Friday service. Let it be a holy time, a holy uh, presentation of what happened on that day. But Lord, as we leave here today, let us leave encouraged that you are, in fact, our righteousness. You are. You are our proven character. And you are our worship. Lord, help us to keep those things in our heart and mind and soul and spirit as we make our way out of the comfort and out of the protective nature of this assembly as we, as we go out these doors and to the, the sick world where we live. Let us be a light to the lost. Let us be salt to those that need flavor in their lives. Let us make a difference. So, Lord, I just pray your blessing over everyone. 
uh, let us leave here encouraged and Lord continue to work through this fellowship and all the fellowships that are preaching the word of God. We thank you and praise you now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen and Amen. Wave those branches. Hallelujah. God bless you. <laughs> the altar is open if you need prayer. Uh, fellowship that way and outside. Have a wonderful day. Praise God.